ready? I think so. I don't know how to start. How do we start it? <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we start talking about why are we doing this podcast in the first place? What's it all about? What do you think? Part of the reason we're doing this podcast is because while in graduate school, many of us are extensively trained in how to do research, so often the like mechanics of how to teach, but also how to teach in a way that is informed by critical theories, feminist theories, indigenous studies, and unsettling existing hierarchies of power in the academy is almost never talked about or we have comparatively less access to those kinds of conversations and the techniques that we could bring into the classroom and are bringing into the classroom in order to achieve those goals. Yeah. I think of it as, look, if we're trying to change the world, we need to figure out how to teach about how to change the world. And we also need to figure out how to create classrooms that represent that world we want to be living in. I think of the idea that there's a lot of things that we've inherited in society that we're not happy with. There's a lot of things that I'm not happy with, right? And so then how do I change those things? How do I transform the world? It's not replicating some of those same pedagogy approaches like banking, like Paulo Freire talks about, where they're just empty vessels that are just waiting to be filled. It's not replicating some of those same hierarchies that we see throughout all the academy and throughout all of society, but it's something different. I'm trying to find people that are smarter than myself, that have had more experiences than myself and trying to learn from them, right? Learn from them as to how to transform the world to be a positive place for young people and for myself. Part of what we're up to here is trying to bridge the gap between the kind of content of a lot of radical theories and like radical content that we're teaching in our classes and the way that the delivery of that material or the approach to those classes is often replicating the very structures of power that the content is telling us we need to get rid of. So how do we not just theorize about changing the world, but how do we go about acting in it in radically new and oppositional and critical ways? Yeah, I think about this podcast as sort of carrying out you know, how do we walk with practical feet, right? We're envisioning something new. We want something new. We know that the questions that have come up in the last six months alone in society are asking us to approach teaching in a new way. And how do we do that? So let me ask you then, how do you come to this conversation? So I am currently uh, an assistant professor at the University of Notre Dame in the Peace Studies Department and I also teach in gender studies. But really the place that I developed most of my politics and my commitments and also my pedagogy was not in the academy, but was in social movements. And so I come to this work as a scholar practitioner or a scholar activist who's like deeply, deeply involved in understanding how social movements and people around the world are constantly through their conversations with each other, through their interactions with each other, able to interrupt or fight against oppression and exploitation and domination. And for me, the question is like, how do I bring all of this amazing practical experience into the classroom 
on an everyday basis. I think that's why we got along when we first met. Uh, so I'm also at the University of Notre Dame as a visiting assistant professor at the Kroc Institute for International Peace Studies. And I also really very much bring or try to bring practical experience into the classroom. Actually, one time in graduate school, a senior member of my department brought me in for a, sort of a one-on-one -on -one and told me up front that I need to decide if I'm either a scholar or an activist filmmaker. You know, I felt, you know, similar to what a lot of, a lot of the subjects that we're going to go over the next few weeks, but feeling like there's a sort of a disconnect between who you are as a person and what you bring to the table and then what sort of a small sliver of space in the academy can you sort of present yourself as something else or that you can occupy. And for me, it wasn't until I, I started reading a lot of the critical work, particularly Black feminist thought, that made no separation between thinking and doing, right? That actually said, you need to do in order to think, and in order to think, you need to do. And so for me, having that turn to feminist critical work was such a homecoming. It was the first time that I could actually ask questions that were meaningful to me. You know, I come out of disciplinary philosophy, even though I don't teach in a philosophy department now, and I really experienced the sort of expectation that professors are just brains in a vat. Like the only thing that you are is a brain and that your body, your experience, structural oppression, your class background, like none of these things should matter because it's all a, an equal playing field of the smartest ideas, I think, was really the approach and the philosophy that I had encountered. And that gave me no language to talk about the experiences that I'd had in my life and even less to talk about my experiences in the academy. I was listening to um, one of my favorite filmmakers, Earl Morris, talk the other day, and he was mentioning how sometimes the best questions are not the ones that you seek out, but are the ones that sort of knock you over while you're seeking out another question. Mm -hmm. Right, the ones that you kind of come sideways towards or that kind of, you know, hit you out of the blue. And for me, I never thought that I'd be writing about pedagogy or even thinking about pedagogy or, or, or doing research about pedagogy. For me, it's been about survival, right? It's been about being able to see myself represented in a classroom, trying to be able to see myself represented in the scholarship, in the research. And if I didn't find that, if I didn't find somewhere where I felt like I was comfortable to express myself and bring myself to the table, I wouldn't be in this space at all. So I had this really deep experience of like surviving through my relationships with other students and realizing that there are tons of places in which they know more and know better what the mm -hmm. world is like than some of the people I was supposed to look to as teachers. And that really changed, you know, it, it allowed me to survive graduate school, but it also left a super lasting impact for me as a teacher that now that I am on the tenure track, how am I being open to the fact that my students, both undergraduate and graduate, will always know more than mm. I do, not necessarily about my super niche area yeah, of yeah. research, but about what the world is like and what conversations are like yeah. and, you know, the multiplicity of experiences and like the deep challenges that we need to face and fight. 
we both have had a lot of experiences outside of the university, like many others, and that a lot of our approaches to pedagogy come from those spaces. But I'm shocked how some of those spaces where I thought were a weakness for me, right, ended up being a strength in terms of I'm approaching a classroom in a more holistic and grounded fashion. I would say that this podcast is about unpacking that irony, right? That a lot of the stuff that we actually came to graduate school with that we were told aren't part of the academy are now where their weaknesses are now strengths that we're actually teaching on that are giving us the ability to, to relate and to sort of translate what we're thinking about and what we're reading about to students. But in a sense, in a, you know, just thinking about like making room for ourselves, making room for others, making room for non-hegemonic or non-Western ways of thinking. And ultimately, I think this is about survival. It's not just about the irony that you and I experienced and this sort of particular situation that both of us felt like our idiosyncratic, perhaps, backgrounds sure. were a detriment to our academic work. But it's a theme that I think in a variety of ways we're exploring with our guests uh, on the podcast and drawing on their wealth of experiences and their very different pathways and histories of coming into academia, the really different ways that they take up some of these experiences in relationship with their students who are themselves also really different from each other. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the, one of the themes that we're going to unpack is this idea of not being represented in the classroom. And when I was thinking about this, thinking about how people talk about it, how we've talked about it, it doesn't come up as if uh, it's sort of pity evoking, right? We're not trying to cast it as that, but rather I think we're trying to cast it as an opportunity. There's an opportunity to move into spaces that haven't been moved into. There's opportunities to resonate with students and engage with intellectual ideas, right? In ways that haven't been engaged in before. So to me, our next handful of weeks are really exciting because we get to talk to people that are really smart and ask them how they're doing it and what do they found successful. And hopefully it helps me in my teaching. It helps the listeners in their teaching. And Ashley, I know you're already on top of your game, but it could help you a little bit. I think it would probably help me a little bit more. It's good. <laughs> it'll I'm certainly excited. Help. It'll certainly help me a lot too. And I think the other thing that this podcast explores and that's been particularly exciting and helpful to record during COVID and quarantine and the crisis is helping build community inside a time when teaching and being a pedagogue is like more lonely than it's ever been and more disconnected from other humans than maybe it's ever been. Absolutely. And, and so like recording this during, during this time in particular, I think is helping us build a kind of national and transnational network of people responding to the challenges that have always been there and the challenges that in this moment are particularly acute. Absolutely. It's going to be a great next few weeks. I'm super excited. Thanks everyone for listening. Pedagogies for Peace, Intersectional and Decolonial Teaching can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The music is by David Hazardous, and the podcast is produced and distributed by Hannah Heinzinger. Here's a sneak peek into conversations we'll be having this season. See you soon. 
And so I tried just reading out lectures to them, you know, just saying, and then this happens, and then this happens. And if any of you have ever been in a room of bored people, boy, you feel it in your bones. And so I just had to say to myself, this isn't working. Why isn't this working? And it's because I felt like I was not connected to them in any way. And what was holding me back was I didn't want to, you know, uh, risk looking like a fool to them. You know, I didn't know if I could risk myself with them. And so I started trying it. You know, so the example I use of jazz is really because I think about a lot of what I do is improvisation. But the trick with jazz is no jazz musician that does that type of music doesn't practice. It's not like they just get on stage cold and do it. And so I do a lot of preparation, but I also prepare myself to be unprepared by what they're going to bring, what they're going to say. But in terms of my own work that I needed to do, I think one of the most useful things that I constantly remind myself of as part of that sort of framework of treaty that I use to practice as a daily practice, I guess. One of the things that I think about is the importance of being refusable, which is a term that I like to use as a way of positioning myself in relation to other people and owning the fact that there are going to be some pedagogical spaces, there's going to be some spaces of learning that are not spaces for me. There are other things and other places where I should learn and other conversations that I need to engage with but making sure that there are spaces of learning that are created and held for, in the case of Dishinta, Indigenous folks in particular and Northern folks in particular is really important. And the work that I do is often creating and protecting those spaces so that other people can learn within them. I had to rethink like, what kinds of skills do people need and what kinds of futures um, are people imagining possible for themselves like a lot of people even though we sell them this dream of going on to grad school or being the next kind of um, nonprofit leader folks are saying those options might not be available and I don't know that I value those skill sets right so again I'm interested in accompanying students to see the potential not only of transforming this canon but also on taking control over their own educational pedagogical process so that in some ways this is not just a, a task that is on me that I have control over but it's also on their part to intervene. On the very first day in the undergrads we go around and introduce ourselves and I, I ask them to of course give me their name, their year, their major and minor and then I say um, and this is stunning for them but it's very effective tell us where it is you call home and without consulting your phone or your laptop whose people <laughs> whose territory is that or whose territory are you closest to and then i make them all put their phones and laptops away and then it's quite an extraordinary exercise because some will will know right away and then others have no idea and then we talk for a minute about why that difference? <laughs> what, what is it about your life experience so far, your education that has made that invisible? And, and let's explore that now in this course. <laughs>